Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello and welcome back to the Power Hour, the Heritage Foundation Center for Energy, Climate and Environments podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spencer, and I am not joined today by my former colleague, Travis Fisher. Now, in case you missed it, the last episode, we made the, I guess, sad announcement that Travis was moving on. So good riddance, Travis. That's what I had to say. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. Travis was no... I would say is awesome. We will certainly miss him, but the show must go on and on it will go. Hey, hey Jack. Yes. I'm just wondering why all the people who do this podcast with you keep leaving. <laughs> I, I don't know. I now don't know. I'm not so sure I want to go forward. <laughs> I, uh, I will tell you why. Well, first of all, I don't know who you are yet because you haven't been introduced. Oh, I'm sorry. But that's coming. I'll be, I'll be quiet. But, I, but I'll say this. I'll say this. They are leaving because I am uh, threatened by them. And as soon as anyone begins to outshine me, I do what I can to undermine their <laughs> I get it. So uh, I'll see, try, I'll you, try not to upstage you. You don't need to worry about that. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, Travis is gone, and we certainly wish him the best. So you might be asking, Jack, who is going to co-host the Power Hour with you? Certainly you can't do this by yourself. Well, you have questions, and as always, I have answers. I'll sort of be doing it myself. In fact, you got sort of a, a sneak peek here. I say sort of because I won't have anyone here in the room with me. However, I'm not alone. I'd like to introduce you. Well, you sort of already got introduced to him, but I'd like to introduce you formally to a man who's been present for nearly every power hour we've done so far, a man without whom there would be no power hour. A man who takes what we put together here and produces the finished and polished professional production that we present to you on a weekly basis. This man has a career in radio and talk show production. He is a pros pro and all-around good guy. That man who you've already been introduced to, sort of, is Mr. John Pop. John, welcome to the Power Hour, or welcome to this new role at the Power Hour. Yes, sir. I'm on the other side of the glass, so uh, but we do have a mic in here, so I may chime in from time to time. That's very good. You know, I've thought, you know, in these episodes we've done that I would – it feels more um, – I feel more like a real, like, radio – show type guy like i have the guy behind the glass who i can reference and talk to it feels like we've elevated this again this is this nothing to do with 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 uh the loss of of travis and then and rachel before that because certainly they were great and i wish they were still here but the introduction of you helps lift this to a new level i would argue I appreciate that, sir, and I will do everything I can to live up to your gracious words. All right. Now, now John, you, you, started, uh, you started to describe a little bit your behind glass, but I want to give everyone a little bit of, of the lay of the land here, which we've never done. So, like, I'm here in this studio, and there's a handful of microphones here where I and our guests do our thing. And then John, he sits as he, you know, in sort of this adjacent room where he records and produces a program, and there's, there's a wall of glass separating the room. So while John's not in here with me, 
we can see each other through the glass and interact, and it's just like he is. So anyway, since we don't record this video, which we should, because I think we would kill it on YouTube um, or Rumble or wherever, where whatever the kids are watching nowadays. For now, you just have to go with my 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 description of it. Your word pictures. My word pictures, which I guess is what I get paid to do around here. Anyway, so we got that out of the way. Now to other business. First, I now have to do these things that one of the things that Travis had to do, which I screwed up all the time, which is like remind you to email us, reach out, and to tell you what our email address is, which is thepowerhour at heritage.org. As always, give us your input. Write it down, thepowerhour at heritage.org. Let me know what you're thinking. Um it influences the program. It absolutely does. Now, also, I want to make a request to everyone. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would like to ask you if you would consider telling a friend about us. Maybe send them a link to the episode that you liked. We've built up a nice audience, but I want to take this baby to the moon, and I need your help to do it. So tell someone. Send them the link. Make it easy for them just to click and be part of the, our, our podcast community we're building here. And Jack, they can subscribe and get the Power Hour under it's it's the Heard It Heritage podcast feed. So just look up Heard It Heritage Power Hour, and then you'll find the feed and subscribe and please share too. Yes, there you go. Do that stuff. Make us famous. There you go. I guess. <laughs> anyway, now with all that said, I'm not going to subject you to an hour of me droning on about God knows what, though we actually may do that. For an episode or two in the future, I'm thinking about it. Maybe we could do another question and answer episode, or I could do an episode of commentary and analysis of some re- recent news stories. But let me know your thoughts on that. If you think that would be interesting, um, I would love to do that. But I, w- I don't want to do it if you all think that I'm boring. So let me know on that email address. Um, but either way, that's not today. Today, I have a really special guest. Now, John, I know that I say all of our guests are special. That's right. And they are. They Not are. to take anything away from any of them. And I say that they are all the world's <laughs> best in their field, and they are. But today I would submit to you, we have a special, special guest. Ah, uh, very special. <laughs> this gentleman is nationally known. You're making me blush. <laughs> You've seen him on television. You've read his pieces in the nation's biggest newspapers and the most impactful websites. Hopefully you've read his books. That when I have a question about economics and go to him, that's not that impressive. But that when (laughs) President Trump has a question about economics and goes to him, well, that's impressive. So without further ado, I present to you author, economist, media personality, and most important, at least to me, good friend and colleague, Steve Moore. Steve, welcome to the Power Hour. Well, Jack, it's what a, what a nice introduction. I'm blushing, folks, and so it's very, very sweet if you'd have me. But, like, I'm nervous because it sounds like I'm the next person at Heritage on the on the, on the the chopping block. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, those people who left were not on any chopping blocks. Trust me. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. So. Not that I'm any longer in the business of, of manning no, it, chopping blocks, but I promise you, neither Travis yeah. or... <laughs> we're chopped. Well, Jack, I have to say, you know, you, you and I have worked uh, together side by side. And in fact, you were editing a lot of my stuff uh, for several years at Heritage. And you are the best in the business when it comes to the energy field. I've learned so much from, <laughs> you, know, you know, reading your material over the years on um, this crazy energy. I mean, you must be incredibly busy under the Team Biden and yeah. trying to just count, I'm, count. I mean, is there anything that Biden has done right on energy? I don't know that there is. Yeah. You know, there are a handful of things. Look, if you could take the um, 
any political bias away mm-hmm. and just look yeah. at what's being done. Objectively. There are maybe a handful of things that Biden is doing that a um, president from another party might be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, however, <laughs> as I've dedicated this podcast to, disagree with a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Is a lot of them are about empowering the Department of Energy mm-hmm. and energy programs. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a long storied history of those right. programs failing. And I would prefer that government get out of the way, focus on having a an efficient, um, fair, predictable regulatory environment, mm-hmm. and then let the market do what the market does. Um, so I bring that up because I was having a conversation with someone um, a couple of days ago about nuclear energy. Mm-hmm. And they, they asked me, um, you know, Biden seems to be doing a lot on nuclear energy. He must be must be pretty happy with that. And it was a complex question because Biden is doing in nuclear space, spending taxpayer money on many of the things that those across the political spectrum who would call themselves pro-nuclear would want him to do. Mm-hmm. I would argue, though, that those aren't the best things for government to be doing. That they would, and, and so we had that whole discussion that, that, that in the fuller context of what Biden's doing, everything is bad. And even mm-hmm. if you can pick one or two things out that maybe aren't as bad, I don't know, um, it's within this broader context. And it's just mm-hmm. screwing everything up. You know, um, nuclear, a, a good example is um, what he just did on yeah, uranium. I was just going to mention that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how many, one million acres uh, out west that's prime uranium yeah. mining uh, lands and it's now taken off. Forever. Off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably for all intents and purposes, at, at a time when we need to be, where are we, where are we going to get the uranium from? Well, you know how much uranium we currently produce in the United States. I'm, I'm afraid to answer that question. I don't know. Five percent. Five percent. Where is the rest? Oh, well, a lot of it comes from Eastern Europe, and so a lot of it comes from friendly countries Russia. like um, Canada and Australia. Yeah, well, Canada has a lot. Yeah, but we get about fourteen percent from Russia. Yeah, we get about. I think about thirty-five percent from Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, I and then um, yeah. bits and pieces from other places. Yeah. So, you know, it's just part and parcel to the way this administration. You know, they want to control everything. They want to say we we they are trying to compel us to do energy a certain way, and then they're taking away all the resources. Well, is that land um, re- truly, um, you know, environmentally sensitive lands? I mean, a million acres, by the way, that's a Huge. So it's interesting. Well, first of all, the question should not be if it's – this may come out wrong. But that's yeah. – it's a podcast. We're having a discussion. Yeah. The question, the first question is not is it environmentally sensitive uh-huh. or not. The question should be here are the standards by which we expect you to do development. Uh-huh. Within those standards, right. do what you can do. Right. And – what we know is that the modern modern Western uranium mining mm-hmm. can happen in a very okay, clean it. way. Got it. Now, what 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 he has done and the left has done brilliantly is create this um, these 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 cultural narratives right. using words that help frame people's thinking about a certain thing. And in this case, they they say it's part of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. And it's not part of the Grand. It, it might right. be geographically right. adjacent to, right. or part, but it's not the Grand right. Canyon. <laughs> right. Like no one is saying we should start right. digging up the Grand Canyon, right. pulling out uranium. Like that shouldn't be allowed. Even I think we shouldn't be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. 
But a million acres around the Grand Canyon or adjacent to it that can be mined in an environmentally clean way should be open to this. So, you know, my beef on this as a budget expert is, you know, we should have, I think it's close to half of the land west of the Mississippi in this country is owned by the government. So we should be selling land, not buying it, not taking it. We should be putting it back in the private sector. And uh, think of all the tax revenues that would generate um, and the, you know, for commercial purposes, I'm again, I'm not talking about Yellowstone or Yosemite. I'm just talking about vast. I mean, what is it? Seventy five percent of Utah and Arizona or more are government. Nevada the same way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, so, uh, you know, in my perfect world, those lands will be privatized. But at a minimum, right. they should be given to the states yes. and let the states manage them in whichever way they think is appropriate. Can I make one other point about this? Because. You know, we've seen, I know we're going to talk about, you know, climate change and you talk, talk a lot about this. So you're probably aware of this, but maybe a lot of your listeners aren't that, you know, we've had these forest fires in, in California and and now in Canada. And um, the I was reading in The Wall Street Journal the other day and it was just almost a throwaway line. But it was so important is that the amount of carbon that is being released in the atmosphere from these fires in California and in um, Canada they're emitting more carbon in the atmosphere than is being subtracted by every green program we've had in place for the last 10 years. Well, I guess there's a silver lining to every story. <laughs> so, I mean, for one-tenth – and by the way, who who owns those forests? It's the, the government. Yeah, and yeah. they're not letting people timber them and exactly. defend them out appropriately. I mean, so how stupid them. is this? For one-tenth of the cost of all these green energy programs, if you really care about you know reducing greenhouse gas emissions, wouldn't it just be better to have better stewardship of the forests? Yeah. Well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think that anyone who takes any sort of critical look at the Biden administration's energy policies, it doesn't take long to realize CO2 reduction is not the purpose of it. What is? Well, I I can only assume <laughs> that it is to control the economy right. and to um, advance a political agenda right. and ideology right. and to ensure that special interests are paid appropriately yeah. because there's not one energy policy that they promote that would reduce carbon dioxide right. in a meaningful way right. even if you assume right. and believe – the models that they use to justify their stuff. So I've, I've always said that the green movement, and this is more true today than ever before, it is a green movement, but the, this isn't green as environmental green. This is all about the money. Yeah. And we have, as you know, built up a multi-trillion dollar global climate change industrial complex, and it's increasingly difficult to take these people on because they have... So much money. Um, one statistic that um, I, I dug up the other day was that we've spent globally, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 trillion over the last 20 years um, on climate change. And yet in 2022, the amount of um, greenhouse gas emissions were higher than ever before. So you have to really wonder, what, yeah. with, even with $4 trillion of spending, we haven't been able to bend the curve. The only place where carbon emissions have been reduced the is the U.S. Yeah. because of fracking. Exactly. Natural but, gas. Yeah. 
That's the, been the biggest factor is, is switching from coal to natural gas. And also coal is cleaner now than it's ever been before. So maybe there, I mean, I get that question all the time. Is there some kind of sinister motive here? And I don't know if chasing tax dollars is a sinister motive, but I think that's what this is all about. Yeah, you know, I don't know if if it's the, um, you know, what is it, the World Economic Forum or the Davos guys. Right. I'm not saying that there are three puppet masters, you know, right. d- deciding all this, but I do think that um, there's a, con- a, a a a convergence of special interests, political agenda, um, inertia, and that that is sort of leading us to this point. And you know, I was thinking about this the other day. One of the an analogy worth considering is the experience of COVID mm. and, cli- and as compared to climate change. Mm-hmm. They, there's their parallel, there's they, no doubt. The, the, what COVID did was compress it all into a couple of year time period, whereas climate change is decompressed over a couple of decades. But the dynamics of the two um, of the two discussions are almost mirror images of one another yeah, it's it's true listen to the scientists they know best don't question them if you do question them we're you're a denier right uh, which is a horrible word that I can't believe has entered into our lexicon because mm-hmm. we all know where that comes from it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a uh, it's about Holocaust denial um, don't question it use taxpayers money uh, give us your liberty so we right. can protect you. That's the most important thing. And yes. it's all the same. It's literally the same stuff in that 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 culturally we haven't concluded. We just saw this happen with COVID and we can all see it was a lie. <laughs> Maybe we should start questioning more um, more directly the whole climate change thing because there are way more similarities there than there are differences. Yeah, no, I mean, in, in fact, the sometimes the left, uh, slips up and they accidentally tell the truth. And so there's been a lot of discussion um, by, you know, some of the more far left wing activists that the, really the COVID lockdowns were just a trial run for what we'll have to do to, uh, you know, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And I don't know if you followed what's happened in South Africa, but South Africa's economy has gone in the toilet. And they've dismantled their energy there. Mm-hmm. And then you get – so people are getting poorer really fast. And that's the other thing. We This idea, this concept of climate justice, there's not climate justice. It's climate injustice. The mm-hmm. victims of all of these policies are the poorest people yeah. in, in the world. So anyway, there have been headlines in some of the South African papers because they've had like California brownouts and blackouts like, hey – this isn't really so bad. We're reducing our carbon emissions by sh- shutting off people's lights and shutting off their their air conditioning and their heat and their electric power. I mean, th- this is uh, almost like taking us back to the Stone Age. Like, oh, let's go back to 19th century economy. Yeah, and you know, w- one of the one of the sayings I like to throw out every every now and again because I think it's telling is, um, you can ignore Adam Smith's invisible hand. But eventually, it's going to punch you square in the face. <laughs> and you see that happening um, all over the place. You know, in, in countries, you see it happening. Um, whenever Germany was forced right. to reckon with, with Russia and, and them turning off their natural gas. Mm-hmm. And even though that in the media is framed as, as Russia's – I mean, it is Russia's fault. But it, it's Germany's fault for becoming dependent on 
Russian natural gas. And the whole reason they became dependent on it was because their green policies left them with inadequate amounts of energy well, Jack, to fuel their... I mean, I, I, maybe I'm an outlier on this. I truly believe that if Trump were still president, that there is no way in hell that Putin would have gone to Ukraine. A, because there would have been repercussions, but B, because he couldn't have financed it. Mm -hmm. He couldn't have financed that, uh, his military machine. So Biden has, maybe inadvertently, but it's certainly true, he has basically helped arm the, the people we're now trying to get out of Ukraine. But, you know, uh, I'll just give you one statistic. We're losing, because I'm the economist here, we're losing $160 million a day, a day. Mm -hmm. because of the Biden anti-oil and gas policy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th by the way, if you wonder where that number comes from, gas, oil is now selling at roughly $80 a barrel, mm -hmm. and we're 2 million barrels below where we were in production from when Trump was president. So the math there is easy. It's mm -hmm. $160 million a day that we could be using to enrich our economy, to create jobs, to reduce poverty, all of these things. And so these things come at enormous cost. They're not free. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point because that's important. That's really the macro point or the larger point. But we see it in a more micro level where these companies that Biden likes to hold up as being the the future, and they're going out of business. Yeah. There was a huge one yep. announced in the last couple of days, yeah. Proterra, which um, is that a solar company or it's a, a electric battery? vehicle company. Oh, yeah, right, so right, they right. they do. Right. They do uh, buses. They do buses right. and batteries for right. buses and right. big things like that. This company, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it's something like was worth $1.6 billion mm -hmm. when Biden took office. <laughs> and is We've the, given them money. And, and now is worth like $350 million. That's how, yeah. that's how much all the government help. Yeah. That's, that demonstrates how no amount of government help can change you know, what ultimately people want in the marketplace. So this is one of my pet peeves is that I really, truly believe if you want to destroy an industry, subsidize it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we should have learned that throughout history. But we've all we've been doing for – this didn't start under Biden. It started under Jimmy Carter, for yeah. goodness sakes. You know, we had the Synthetic Fuels Corporation and all of these – you know, all, wind and solar, those were the big fad energies back in the 70s when the oil mm -hmm. price went through the roof. Mm -hmm. And we keep giving these industries more money, and then the companies become – you know, I, and I'm wondering why it is that so many of these companies go bankrupt. And I think it's because when you stop producing for the market mm -hmm. and start producing for government politicians, you're just taking your eye off the ball. No, right. no company can stay in business if it doesn't make a profit. The profit right. motive is the greatest invention in the history of civilization yeah. because it, it's what gives us, puts the food on our table. And so, but it is true. You don't subsidize an industry or you're going to destroy it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. You know, that's one of my – that's the underlying critique I have for nuclear power. Uh-huh. And I am a fan of nuclear power. I believe strongly in nuclear power, and I abhor government support for nuclear yeah. power because, I, right. you know, one of the – I think that that is at the core of the problem with the nuclear waste issue, that in 1982, the government took control of nuclear waste, and, of course, that undermined any incentive for the private sector to actually innovate toward – Developing a cohesive nuclear waste strategy was connected with the rest of the fuel cycle, which it never has, nor will it, because the government's supposed to take control over yeah. it. So what we're saying, I guess, is that um, if you just have what you and I favor is just a level playing field, get rid of all the subsidies to all the energy forms and, and let, let them all 
you know, compete would be the best for the environment and for the economy. And I want to um, give you an analogy or a historical similarity. So back in the uh, early 90s, when Al Gore invented the Internet, I'm being facetious, <laughs> of course, um, but there was a lot of talk about what do we, this is burgeoning new industry, what are we mm -hmm. going to do here? And uh, there was a, uh, a lot of talk about let's, let's have the government, you know, build this thing up. And the Congress passed one of the best laws of the last 50 years, which basically said we are going to keep the Internet tax-free, uh, regulation-free, and lawsuit-free. Mm -hmm. And boom! I mean, we created trillions and trillions of – I mean, it just flourished mm -hmm. without a – all the government had to do was just get the hell out of the way. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it's all these incredible companies like Google and blah, 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 blah. So many of them just flourished. So I think there's a lesson there, don't you? Yeah. And I will. T there's a uh, that lesson continues because those many of those companies, I would argue, began their, for lack of a better word, downfall when they got too close to government. Exactly. Again. It's yeah. whenever right. you know. It's it, I, it's not my role to get into the whole argument of censorship in tech or tech regulation, yeah. but I will just say, as a matter of observation, that I think that these companies were miraculous in what they achieved mm -hmm. in a relatively short Amazing. time. Yep. And it's government's involvement with them and the, um, the, 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 the relationship that has grown, especially since COVID between mm -hmm. them, yeah. that has virtually ruined them yeah. and, and has created this massive obstacle to who knows what the future would have been. So this is an important discussion we're having because we are on the cusp of a, of a, amazing new technological revolution that's going to change the world in 20 years. And it's artificial intelligence, robotics, gene therapy, uh, you know, uh, energy production. And I'm not talking about necessarily green energy, but all sorts of new ways of, you know, getting at new energy sources. And I think the only thing that could really divert this would be, you know, the government um, picking winners and losers. And yeah. that, that would be a big, big mistake. Yeah, I mean, you, you can explain this better than me, but I'll start the conversation, which is I don't know that a lot of folks understand that the amount of money that government spends on an, on, on an energy industry is only a drop in the bucket of the way it ripples throughout the economy. Exactly. Because right. as soon as government says, I want this company or this industry to be um, successful, now that acts as a magnet attracting capital into that industry that, ne that now is not being applied to more promising industries, because now the business calculation is, now the government is mitigating so a lot of So you know what risk. the perfect example of this? Is the car companies. Yeah. I mean, the car companies are basically saying, we're going to produce the cars the government wants us yeah. to make, not listen to what consumers are saying. And by the way, I have nothing against electric vehicles. They're cool. Yeah. And, you know, my wife has, uh, you know, electric vehicle. It's great. It's fine. And people want them. But the government's saying you have to have an electric vehicle. So you, and they tell essentially telling the car companies you have to produce them. And so they're it's another example. They're producing for what the politicians want, not what the consumers want. And I hate to tell you, Jack, this story is not going to have a happy ending yeah. for GM and Ford. Yeah. And Toyota, which is a Japanese company, is the only one saying, "Are you kidding? No, yeah. we're going to we want to we're going to produce cars that people tell us that they want." Well, look at what Pro, look at what just we were just talking about. Well, look at Proterra. Here's a company that was well capitalized yep. and it was capitalizing towards what it believed the political, it, not what it believed. It believed it was capitalizing towards a political demand, right. not a market one. 
And their CEO said they, they blamed it on um, supply chains. Fair enough. Um, and a fickle marketplace. Mm-hmm. It's not a fickle marketplace. The marketplace is clear. It doesn't want – it doesn't see electric vehicles as their primary source of yeah. transportation. That doesn't mean, like you said, that, that uh, electric vehicles don't have a place, yeah. but not as the primary – and here's the bad thing. Here's the bad By thing. By the way, wouldn't you think uh, – because, you know, my wife and I were just looking for a new car. So we went to the new car showrooms and the lots – and you know what they have on the on the uh, on the lots? Hmm. Electric vehicles, mm-hmm. and and then not many, you know, normal, you know, gas powered cars. Now, wouldn't you think that the, these dealers would say, call corporate and say, "Hey, we got a problem here. Yeah. We got all these electric vehicles. And nobody's buying them, and they want, you know, the the cars that they've bought for the last forty years." And it's being short circuited, and and there again is the government interfering with the marketplace. And you know it's what they are. The, those car companies are now counting. Will count on a bailout. <laughs> you know, no doubt about it. I and, guarantee that's coming. And the sad part is, if if policy didn't force people towards electric vehicles, then the capital would flow towards the best electric vehicle technologies. I agree. Totally. And you would have a stronger EV industry over the long term. They're ruining no doubt it. about it. They're absolutely ruined. Ru- hey, Jack. Yes, sir. According to the street, Ford loses nearly $60,000 for every electric vehicle sold. So they're saying for now, God. clean cars are a money pit. They're, they're losing but, billions on clean but cars. But the government's making up the difference, right? No. No. no? Who? Well, they're start, they, Some they of it. help me. Yeah. Here's what it, what is Ford's earnings? I know, the they're, I know they're down. Yeah. No, they're up. Oh, they're up. Check. Double check that. So okay. how is that possible? Because it's the it's the truck buyers, it's the internal combustion engine buyers right. who are subsidizing oh, I got the it. loss. Yep. I mean, that's the only way it could be. I believe yeah. that Ford's earnings beat expectations. That might be. And that's why. Because that that could I'm not I'm not a auto industry economist <laughs> or any kind of economist. Uh, I drive a car. But I believe it's the case that earnings beat expectations and it's because that's why a Ford F-150 costs $115,000. So it just it messes the whole, the whole system up. Mm-hmm. That's what that, – that government bureaucrats just fail to understand that they are unable to build a cohesive system that accounts for costs and consumer preferences and all of these things. Um, you know – it, it's that, you know, as Hayek said, that that um, conceit that leads to these bad outcomes every time. And one other point I'd like to make, Jack, is that let's assume that many of the doomsday scenarios on climate change are true. And let's just for a minute assume, you know, that we have to change our ways in the next 50 or 60 or 70 years. Um, how is that going to happen? It's not going to happen through government edict. It's going to ha- happen through technology and private investment. And that's been the solution to every single, you know, problem. I mean, look at uh, how we've been able to reduce pollution levels and so on over the last 50 or 60 years. So you want the private enter- enterprise system to to come up with the solution. I'm not saying there shouldn't be any government involvement in, in environmental standards, but... 
Um, when you hold back the economy, you're you're making people. I mean, a good example is because they're telling these poor countries, don't use coal, don't use oil, don't use gas. A lot of them are using wood burning now. Mm-hmm. Well, wood burning actually puts more is mm-hmm. worse for the environment than uh, than the things that that they're replacing. So. Um, you know, I still believe that technology and, you know, hu- the human mind and innovation are, are you know, if I'm right about what's going to happen with artificial intelligence and all these things, that means we're going to be able to produce more and more and more goods and services with less and less energy demands. And you'll see huge improvements in productivity. But um, the left just doesn't see it that way because they believe government is the solution to all our problems. Yeah, I mean, it, to to pursue a, 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 um, a strategy, as you just described, would truly democratize the world. Um, it, would demo- it democratizes energy. It democratizes um, wealth mm-hmm. because it, yep. it, it, it is the best way to fairly distri- – not distribute. Um, you know, you know it's, it's the best way for wealth distribution to occur. Mm-hmm. And um, – so of course government wants to control that. They want to distribute the wealth. They want to, to, to do all of this. Well, let me things. give you a, a concrete example. So um, there's a lot of discussion about wealth inequality and income inequality in America and in industrialized countries. Well, a, a lot of studies that are very, very conclusive show that if you really want to help like the low, in, really low-income people in inner cities that don't have a lot of job opportunities – you know, the single most important thing you can do for those people is get them a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if a low-income person has a car so they can actually drive their car to get to where the jobs are, their incomes go up. Mm-hmm. But the left has a, a war against cars. Mm-hmm. And by the way, they're not going to take your car away from you mm-hmm. or my car by making a car $20,000 more expensive. I mean, we'll have or to— Or also we'll, because of the Second Amendment. That's <laughs> true too. That. But my point is, who are the people that aren't going to get cars? Right. It's going to be the poorest people, and they're going to be held back. Which is why I think this: we cannot let the term the left get away with this term of environmental justice. No, right. what they are doing that the poor are the victims of their policies, not right. the the advocates or uh, the um, people who uh, support these things. And if you're a poor person. You know, trying to put food on your table. Do you think your big worry about is what the temperature is going to be seventy-five years from now? Right. Yeah. No. It's insane. <laughs> um, absolutely insane. And that it's that same that same philosophy is being carried out um, at the micro level in American cities and and and, and in rural area areas in America, but also around the world. That's where it's most sinister because yeah. we're going. We have American delegations that are going over to poor countries in Africa and Asia and telling them not to build coal plants, don't build gas plants, you know, build solar, solar plants. Well, they, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're depriving these, these people of clean water. <laughs> they, you know, you're depriving them of, of uh, the basic energy you need to have uh, uh, an industrial society. So Speak, yeah. Speaking of, um, of, uh, of, of bureaucratic elitists traveling around the world, <laughs> did you happen to see the exchange between uh, – John Kerry and I forget who the senator was about his his about, fam- the, about his family's ownership of private planes private jet I vaguely uh, just, uh, remind me again how that went <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> he said he's trying to change the world right well no, the, the, the senator world. said uh, 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 Mr Kerry you you have yeah, a, right. a private jet and Kerry said no I don't have a private jet <laughs> and he was like are you sure you're under oath you have a private jet and he's like no I don't have a private jet and then. Uh, 
he holds up the center holds up an article and is like, Kerry family sells yeah. private jet under right. scrutiny. And, and John Kerry, I swear to all that's good and holy, mm-hmm. says, Oh, that's my wife's private jet. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you really? imagine such a thing? These people, these people, and th- these are the people that we've entrusted to to run the greatest country uh, that has ever existed. So, oh my goodness, um, let's stick with this international aspect of it. You, um, you were involved. I mean, you've been involved with so many conservative administrations for for such a long time. Let's go. There haven't to, been that many. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the two of them. <laughs> um, but let's go to, to Trump. Yeah. Um, one of his great successes, I think, was achieving energy independence. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. Um, I'm, I, just, I would just like to hear your thoughts on how mm-hmm. he did that, and 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 the loss that we as a nation have taken by losing what we had tried to achieve for so long. So there's a kind of famous story that I tell in my book called Trumponomics that I tell all the time. So I bet some of your listeners have heard this before. So uh, sorry if you've already heard this. But, you know, my first meeting with Donald Trump back in around um, January of 2016 when his campaign was really just getting going. And Larry Kudlow and I went to go see him in Trump Tower. And I'd never met him before, but we came with an agenda. We wanted to tell him about four or five things we think he could have he, he should do for the economy. And so I had come with this energy agenda, you know, to, and I remember just showing him some charts and stuff and saying, you know, uh, Donald, at that time we called him Donald, he wasn't <laughs> the president. I said, you know, if you get this right and you just pursue these sort of free market pro-energy policies that you know, within four years, you could actually make the United States energy independent. I know you don't like the term energy independent, do you? <laughs> um, you and I have had this discussion, but what yeah. I meant is that we won't have to necessarily, you know, get our oil from OPEC and so You <laughs> finish that story, then I'm, okay. then I'm going yeah, to de- defend myself. So anyway, <laughs> and I said, you know, we could be energy independent. I'll never forget, because this is the first time I'd ever met Donald Trump, and he slammed his fist on his table and he said, Steve, I do not want America to be energy independent. I want America to be energy dominant, dominant. And I think about that because, you know, the truth is, by the end of his term, the United States was energy dominant. Our oil, you know this, Jack. I mean, our oil production and gas production surpassed Saudi Arabia and and Russia. And so, you know, we were, and and incidentally, you know, in the period from 2006 to 2019 or thereabouts, the United States tripled our oil production, which no one, Mm -hmm. this is a perfect example of people who say, oh, I can see the future. Mm -hmm. Even you wouldn't have predicted that. And you're one of the world's experts on energy policy, right? Because it's just this new technology. It's because I don't make predictions about anything. Yeah, right. I mean, (laughs) it's just nobody saw it coming. And in fact, all the other people were saying we were running out of oil and gas and we weren't running out of it, we're running into it. But my point is, you know, we had achieved this, you know, this commanding heights Mm -hmm. in energy and, you know, basically the Biden policy is to just take it down to zero, right? I mean, they want to go to zero by what, 2040 or mm-hmm. something. And that is, uh, you know, I think unpatriotic. I think mm-hmm. it'll be not just bad. Um, it'll be bad for our national security. It'll be bad for jobs. It'll be bad for our trade deficit. It'll be all of the – there's nothing that makes sense about that policy. So I'll tell you this, you know, you know that I did uh, talk to President Trump about two weeks ago and, you know, he's all in on He's like, we're going to go right back 
Mm-hmm. If he gets back in office, we're going right back. We're going to reverse all of the Biden energy policies. <laughs> we're going to run right back to where we were before. And amen to that because yeah. it is uh, we have the cleanest energy in the world. Uh, and why we would want to get our oil from Saudi Arabia or Russia or, you know, countries that hate us, it just that makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And but God, you don't like uh, you never tell me why you didn't right, like and, the term energy independence. Okay, yeah. here's okay. why I don't like the term energy independence. <laughs> It's not that I want America to be dependent on other countries for energy. Mm -hmm. Here's what I don't like. That term in the past had been used as a justification to subsidize and to manipulate the marketplace. And so you would hear things like, we're dependent on Saudi oil. Therefore, we should have this government program to convert coal to liquids or whatever it was. It was always the justification. And so my point always was we shouldn't be – it's not about energy independence. Now, I didn't coin the term right. energy dominance, but that was the that was the the theory behind what mm-hmm. I argued, which is we should have free energy markets, mm-hmm. and America can produce more and better energy than anyone else, and we should go out and compete and dominate. And that's what I feel yeah. about everything. And that's that's sort of the Trump policy. So you're and, you're exactly right. Um. So so and so, to, and, and independence also became a. You know, a code word for tariffs and you yeah. know, like you say, government subsidies and things that that, that actually are counterproductive. That's the, been the whole point of our show today. And the <laughs> the other thing that I I think I wouldn't put it on the same moral ground, but I don't want my energy indi- I don't want America's energy industry to be to be dependent on government on U.S. government mm-hmm. either. Right. So dependence comes in different sh- shapes and sizes. And yes, it is true mm-hmm. that Russia and China. Can you, they they will leverage American dependence on their hydrocarbons mm-hmm. or their minerals mm-hmm. um, to achieve their interests? Mm-hmm. So will this government use uh, use the American indus- industry's dependence on the U.S. government to achieve its interests, yeah, which point. aren't always consistent with what I think our interests should be? Good point. So that's why free markets are awesome and free enterprise is awesome and. Certainly in the energy space should be the organizing philosophy behind policy, I would argue. Yeah. And by the way, if the Saudis were going to give us oil for $5 a barrel, then hell yes, we should buy it. You right. know? I mean, you know? so, that was the, so that was part, you know, whenever we, we talk about, you know, what I've said or what any of us have right. said in the past, it, the context of the time matters. So yeah. I always argued it shouldn't be about denying access to certain sources of energy. It should be about not having policies that make you dependent on that. Yeah, so you point. shouldn't policy should not should not be we're going to shut down American gas and oil production mm-hmm. and therefore we have to get it from Saudi. That is dependence that I'm against. That's different than we're opening up American oil production and if within a global marketplace we have access to Saudi oil, assuming there's not a national security concern, yeah then we should have access to that. Well, I'll give you an example of another counterproductive policy that actually um, inhibits good environmental protection, which is that we do need an infrastructure. We need more energy infrastructure in this country, and that includes pipelines and LNG terminals and and uh, refineries, and, and you know, the government has held that up. But when I was out in North Dakota a few years ago, uh, Williston, have you been to Williston? Or, no. So uh, it lights up like a Christmas tree at night. And, and it's you know what that is, right? They're flaring mm-hmm. off the gas. The methane. Yeah. And that's bad for the environment to mm-hmm. flare that stuff up. So I, 
what the hell is going on? And they said, we don't have anything we can do with the natural gas. And what was the first thing Biden did when he became president? Kill pipelines, mm-hmm. which makes it's idiotic to mm-hmm. do that because instead, so instead of actually using the natural gas for our industry and or exporting it to other countries, we just burned it off and and put all the, you know, this methane into the environment. So it's just another example of how government screws yeah. things up. Yeah, it's really unbelievable. Now, you talked to to President Trump uh, not long ago, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that he would reverse all of Biden's policies. I'm curious. If you have any specific thoughts on on like what should we do now, like you know, you if, mean with if, respect to what energy policy? Oh. Like, are there specific things that you um, are pushing for? Think we should uh-huh. do, or is it is it well, just re, uh, you know? Are are there any sort of white whales that you've been fighting, or you know, whatever? Um, I think I think we definitely need to allow the energy infrastructure so we can be you know, maintain our superpower status as an energy, you know, why aren't we building pipelines? Why aren't we building LNG terminals? Why aren't we, why are there no refineries? And and the left has held that infrastructure up and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I think we ought to do that. I am very pro-nuclear power. Uh, I don't quite get what's going on in that. And I guess, was there just recently a new, I, I, th- I thought I read something that we, the first nuclear plant has been yeah. Is operating now in like forty years or something like well, it's that. It's not quite that. Okay, what's, so, well, what's it's, going on? It's the first. Um, so, the plant at in Vogel, um, the Vogel nuclear power Where's plant, that? Uh, Georgia, Georgia, yeah. Um, Vogel three and four. So three came online, and four will come online soon. So it, it's a great day for nuclear. Uh-huh. No question about it. Um, however. Um, I hate to say however, but it, it, there is a however to okay. it. It took way too long to build. Right. Um, it costs way more Why? than what – because of regulatory obstacles. Okay. It was the first of a kind being okay, built. Right. Um, you know, the, I mean, it's easy to just blame it on regulation, and yeah. regulation was a part of it. But also I think it, it being the first one that they built – um, Got it. So I, I you know, I'm, I mean, I think nuclear could be, you know, the energy of the future. Um, but the other thing, when you asked me about policy, um, in, in addition to all of the subsidies that we're giving to solar and wind power and electric battery production and so on, um, one of the really harmful things is at the state and local level, all these renewable energy requirements. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't understand the utility industry. <laughs> you know, you maybe you could explain that to me because they're kind of quasi-public-private and, you know, their prices are regulated. So it's not really a, 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 you know, free market system. But as I look at the evidence, you know, states that have, um, that don't, you know, require that a certain percentage of your, you know, um, electric power production come from wind and solar and so on, but you could just use whatever is most efficient, those states charge their homeowners and their businesses like half of what the... So this is like a big hidden tax Mm -hmm. on American homeowners. And so if you live in New Jersey or Connecticut or California, you're paying twice as much for your power... So and, and people don't really realize they can't connect the dots. Mm-hmm. So if you ask people, do you are you favor renewable requirement? Oh yes, we should mm-hmm. use definitely. I want clean energy. Mm-hmm. Do you know that means you're, instead of paying two hundred dollars a month, you're going to pay four hundred dollars a month? Mm-hmm. Then people, you know, you know this. The studies all show. Do you care? You know, if you ask people, do you care about climate change? Ninety percent of people say, oh, absolutely, I care yeah. about this. How, How much, much you are you willing to pay? Twenty five dollars a year or something like right. that. Not five thousand right. dollars a year. So. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we, we spoke about <laughs> Travis earlier. Travis was a real expert on energy markets. I'm certainly not. But, um, but so, you know. Can't we just get rid of utilities? I don't understand why the government has to run the energy markets. Look, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, it's like if if you have someone producing electrons, they'll get it to the market, yeah. into the, yeah. to, to who needs them. Um, They're like little monopolies, right? Yeah. It's so the you, worst way of providing goods and service. Well, we have a monopoly that the government regulates the prices, and it, it just doesn't it, work. Yeah, it, set, it sets the prices. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's you know you have the the the, the so-called regulated utilities and the so-called deregulated markets, but even the deregulated ones are heavily regulated. Um, you just, but you have price formation in these these markets rather than price formation ver- by virtue of a. Public Utility Commission. So one other thing I want to mention to you is that I worry about because I want to hear, you know, you really are the expert on this stuff. But I absolutely um, am, am very fearful about our grid system yeah. and how vulnerable it is. Because if I were a terrorist, you know, and I wanted to disrupt, you know, American commerce, I mean, you shut down the grid system, you know, you're, it, it would be catastrophic. So... I'm I'm just worried about how how worried should we be about the the reliability of our grid system because look you saw in California you're seeing blackouts and brownouts many times uh, but are, are we are we vulnerable to terrorism uh, when it comes to the grid system? I'm a little bit of a contrarian. Okay, on good, this issue. good. Um, <laughs> Cheer me up on this. I am. Where are you on this one? <laughs> uh, scared. Yeah, I think people are scared. Yeah. Yeah. So we. I. It's something in me that when a bunch of people tell me to be scared of something, <laughs> to be skeptical of it. You know? um, here's what I think. Yeah. I'm going to start very simplistically. Yeah. When I plug something in, it works. Right. And when it goes down, it starts working again fairly quickly. Uh-huh. That's my starting point. Now, secondly, I'm not denying that what you just described is not a threat. Uh-huh. But I think that the utility companies understand what the threat is. Okay. And generally speaking do a pretty good job of managing all of that. I also think that um, that it is compartmentalized enough. We've seen it. We've seen when when something goes out, they're able to bring electricity mm-hmm. in from one place to right, another. Right. Now, that all said, there are these blackouts and brownouts, but that's not a grid. It, it's not a, a grid, grid issue, issue per se. It's an electricity production issue. Uh-huh. It's because they're not producing enough electricity. So right. that is clearly part of the Got grid. It. Got that it. is part of the grid. So my fear is, my fear about the grid is not that, not that it's vulnerable to terrorist attack on a grand scale. Though maybe it is, but I'm just saying that's not that's not what I think. I think that the vulnerability is that while our economy continues to demand more energy. Mm-hmm. Our politics are making it virtually impossible to do it, and that's where the vulnerability lies. And to me, these other things that you described that might be catastrophic, maybe those are there, but I'd rather fix this stuff first. I think it's a great point. So um, the other thing I worry about related to this, because it is happening in other countries, and I get asked this a lot when I do like talk radio and stuff, uh, the things like the government regulating your thermostat in your house and so on. And you and I are pretty libertarian. That scares the crap out of me, yeah. you know, that the government could actually say, you know, you're setting your temperature you're at 68. No, you know, we need you need to set that at 72 or, you know, and the 
rationing of electric power. Is that coming? Because yes. I, that worries me. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I just said I don't make predictions, but I will make that prediction. Yeah. If we continue down the road we're on, the Biden they will ration. We will. We absolutely have to ration because you can't build nuclear plants. That's scary. You can't build coal plants. Uh, the, I, you know, I, I've spent a career being the nuclear guy. I'm thinking yeah. of putting that to the side and becoming right. the coal guy right. because too many people. Coal is so important to our. Too many people like nuclear now. I like being the nuclear guy <laughs> when no one likes nuclear. I love coal. This country was built on coal. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, I'm thinking about becoming the coal guy because yeah. I yeah. love coal. We need coal advocates. No, yeah. it's and it's cleaner than ever. We have the cleanest yeah. coal, and it still provides a third of our electric power. Yeah. Um, so, hey, Jack, yes. uh, just to get back to me saying I was scared, what I fear is we have become so dependent on not only the electricity demands, it continues to go up, and even things like the Internet, but basically you want to see society unravel fast is just shut off the power for a little right. while. Yeah. Uh, you know, even like when it happens, we have these summer storms, the power goes off for a little while, but it's like people immediately... I mean, behavior gets very bad very yeah, quickly. I've seen true. that's that's what scares me. So I, I agree with that. I don't deny that. But but the what I'm saying is there may be some degree of catastrophic vulnerability. However, the problems that we are far more likely to confront are the ones that are being generated by bad policy. If we got the policy right, you would have a far more resilient grid, and that to the extent that uh, a, the grid is not resilient, I think, is um, is something we can fix and not, you know, we don't need to worry about it. What about a, this pulse? An issue? electromagnetic yeah. pulse? I don't I know much about say, it, but is that a threat? I mean, it's a threat, but so but so is a nuclear weapon, right, 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 you know? Right, yeah, right. And so, like, here's – so this comes back to my skepticism about special <laughs> interests and government intervention. It pe- – there is a dynamic out there where people say there's this big threat. Uh, the private sector, because they only care about the next quarter, I'm doing I'm doing uh, air quotes for people. I know that you can't see me, because they only care that they don't acknowledge the threat and therefore don't prepare for it. Thus, we need government to compel the private sector to do a certain thing um, to protect against this threat. And I just deny that that there's always an undercurrent there of. And I have the company to do the thing, or I run the government program to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I have more faith in the private sector to actually understand what the threats are. Now, as those threats are outside the country, I think that is certainly in the purview of the government. And that, that, that what we should be doing is having communication between our national security apparatus and our mm-hmm. private sector so that everyone can, be, can make the best decisions possible. That's not to say there's never external risk like an EMP. But like I, I, I see a far greater risk of Biden forcing everyone to try to w- use windmills. So one little final thought as we come to the end of this is, you know, we're, I'm working on a big project with some pretty smart people that is dovetailing on exactly what you said. So, you know, this kind of idea of like trust the science, the scientists know what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Well, they don't. I mean, they've been, the scientists right. are oftentimes wrong. And so how do we assess these risks that you're talking about? Well, what we're looking at is how building a mo- – well, first of all, we have insurance markets, right? right. And insurance markets assess risk. That's what what you yeah. buy insurance for. And so That's using insurance think. markets and also betting markets – to basically say, okay, this scientist says that in the next 20 years, you know, the temperatures are going to go up to by two percentage points. Are you willing to bet 
a thousand dollars? Are you right. willing to put your money where your mouth is? Because yeah. betting markets are highly efficient in terms of predicting yeah. um, outcomes. And so my point is, we should be using markets to assess risk, not government, and not certainly not oh, the scientific consensus, because you and I have been in this business a long time. Guess what, folks? Oftentimes, the scientific consensus is wrong. Or what we're told is the scientific consensus right. is not even a consensus. <laughs> Good point. And it's science, and that <laughs> the whole purpose is to continue uh, investigating things. And I would say if they're so sure about the science, we should – if they're so sure about the science on climate change, then why do we keep spending so many taxpayer <laughs> dollars to learn more about it? Right. Anyway, Steve, this has been great. It's been um, fun. This let me is ask, the most fun I've had of talking about energy <laughs> ever. Maybe, maybe you, I, I would like for you to come back at some future I'd point, perhaps. Um, where can folks find you? Do you do social media and things like that? Uh, I think the best thing I can recommend, do you get our committee to unleash prosperity hotline? Of course. Well, I'd love people to sign up for it. It's free. There's no inflation in this. And it just, you know, we do, you know, one or two items so, or three items a week on, on energy. But it's basically a little bit of politics, a little bit about what's going on in the economy. You can read it in five minutes. And just go to committee to unleash prosperity um, website and just sign up. And by, by the way, there is no inflation in this product because all it right. is free. Very good. So all and, people have uh, to do. And then, of course, that people can reach me at the Heritage Foundation as well we'll put some uh, information about that in the show Thank notes you. as well do you get it i'm going to now all right you <laughs> sign up for you i want to get your card you got to get it so now do you have any books on the horizon i always enjoy your books they're, well they're i did great write readings. a book on energy a number of years ago yeah. called fueling freedom uh the mad war on american energy i wish we'd just called it the mad war on american energy and um I'm writing a book now on red state versus blue state America, okay. and this is the issue of our times is that, you know, the prediction is that the blue states will continue. They either have to change or die. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you to everyone who took some time out of your day to listen to the Power Hour. And please, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell your friends and family and colleagues to check us out. And don't forget to email us as well at thepowerhour@heritage.org. John? Yes, sir. Any final words? Yes, I just went on this here phone, <laughs> and I looked up, heard it, Heritage, Power Hour, and boom, first thing pops up. So if you want to find the podcast, that's how you do it. Uh, heard it, it, Heritage, Power Hour, subscribe, and share. Yeah. Well, there you go. Give us a nice rating, too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks. John, thank you for helping us out. Steve, thank, thank you, you for being a guest. And most importantly, thank you to all of y'all for listening. We'll see you next time. 